Hey, I want to preach on this topic this morning. I want to preach on the glory of God. Yeah, it's going to be one of those. So I hope you I hope you wound up like a 10 day clock. I hope you're ready to go. I want to preach on the glory. You know, when I used to think about the glory of the Lord as a child, I, I attributed it to flannel graph. Okay. Anybody, where are my real church folk at? Grew up with flannel graph as a kid. And some of you are like, what is flannel graph? Basically, it's a felt board and you put paper like Bible characters on it and you slide them across and you teach a story. My dad, I love him. He's probably watching this right now, but my dad wanted us to know the word inside and out. And he thought flannel graph was the most creative way to do that. So he bought the whole Bible with flannel graph pieces. And, and Kara, I want us to bring us, bring that back. Can we bring that back to go kids right now? She said, no, <laughs> but Jesus looked a lot like this, right? Like blonde hair, kind of blue eyes, uh, which is already wrong, but has this, this glow, right? It's like this disc. I felt like God's glory was this, this halo, this, this circle that rests on the back of God's head. And so when people would preach about, hey, you got to have the glory of God, I'd be like, I got to find that disc. I got to find that light. I got to find the halo. Like Beyonce says, I've got to have it, right? But the glory of God is, is so much more than just a circle on a picture. The glory of God is the presence of God. Somebody say presence. We want the church to be a place where we can come and experience the glory of God. But before the glory of God can ever settle in this house, it's got to settle in your house first. Before you can ever come in and, and really experience God in the right way, you need to have God resting in your heart. You need his presence in your life. You need his presence on your kids. You need his presence on your job. You need God's glory in every aspect of your life. So I want to talk about three facts about God's presence Three facts about God's presence. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Haggai chapter one. If you want to know where that is, it's like right in the middle of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Just spin it open. You'll find it. Haggai chapter one. We're going to read two stories today that I believe really show some important facts about the presence of God, the need for the presence of God and the priority of the presence of God. Just really great stories. But the first one is right here in Haggai chapter one. And it goes like this, starting in verse three. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you and yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while my house remains in a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord God Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but you have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord God Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. Somebody say my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains in ruins, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains. Verse 11, on the grain, on the new wine, on the olive oil and everything else on the ground produces. On the people, the livestock and all the labor and the works of your hands. The first fact I want to talk about is God's presence is a source. God's presence is a source. You know, I think it's really 
easy to get to a place where you become so confident in what you're doing and your gifts and your abilities that you begin to wander from this idea that God really is the source of all that we have. That God is the God who woke you up. That it was not your iPhone that woke you up this morning, but it was God who breathed life into your body. It was God who put steps in order for you. It was God who opened doors that no man could shut. It's God who did all these things for you and your success is tied directly to God in his own favor. But if we're not careful, it becomes really easy to wander from this place of confidence in ourselves and confidence in God and confidence that God is for us into this season of pride, into this season where we really believe our own hype. And so if you're not careful and not vigilant to what you're doing, you can wander right away from something that you really need to be connected to. And so in this story here, you have a classic example of priorities. They had the wrong priorities. Here they're working, they're trying to pay their bills, they're trying to put food, store up, they're working on their own houses, but God says, you've neglected my house. In fact, the temple itself is in ruins. It's years before Jesus, so the only place that God can meet with man is down in the temple in the Holy of Holies. So that's God's house. That's where it is. And so everyone else is busy doing their own thing, but yet God's house is falling apart and God's house is in ruin. And God's not upset with them for trying to pay their bills. God's not upset with them for trying to put clothes on. Amen. But God is upset that he is not a priority. God is upset that he's the giver of life, but they've forgotten that. God is upset that he's not a priority and he's just become an afterthought. There needs to be room for God's presence in your life. Needs to be room in God's presence in your home. Because here's what I know about God's presence is that he always puts provision where his presence resides. Wherever God is, there's healing. Wherever God is, there's finances. Wherever God is, there's hope and there's peace. Because there's certain things that you can't put a price tag on. When was the last time that you laid your head down at night and actually slept full of peace, full of joy, full of content? You see, when you, when you linger in God's presence, when you desire for God's glory to fall in your life, when you desire for those things, he brings peace and he brings joy. Notice he didn't say they didn't have wages. It says that the wages weren't blessed. Notice he didn't say they didn't have food or they didn't have drink. It says that they were still thirsty. They were still hungry. Could it be that you really don't lack money? Could it be that you really don't lack a beach house and you don't lack a new car, but what you really lack is God's presence and God's favor on what you already have? Could the missing ingredient in your life be contentment? Could it be peace? Could it be the only thing that God brings when he walks into the room, his presence and his power? I've been in this game long enough to know God. He's not impressed with grandeur of the things that I can create. God's not impressed with my resume. God's not impressed with any kind of building that we can throw up. What God is impressed with is intent. Intent. What's the intent of your heart? Why are you building what you're building? Jesus even says, hey, without me, you can do nothing. He didn't, it doesn't mean you can't do anything without him. It means you can't do anything of significance without him. In fact, I feel like many of us are trying to build like this platform on success and our giftings and all these things, not inviting God into it. And we believe that somehow it's going to stand the test of time. But much of our works is like a firework. 
It shoots up, it explodes in beauty and glory, and as fast as it makes it there, it disappears only to be forgotten, only to be an afterthought. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm done counting my days. I want my days to count. Can I get an amen? I, I'm done just, I'm done just being me, just the status quo, uh, done with mediocrity. I want to be in God's presence all the time. I want him to be, I want him to be there when I'm cleaning my wife's car out and I'm frustrated. I want him to be, I love you. I want him to be when I'm writing sermons. I want him to be in the room when I'm reading the Bible to my son as he goes to sleep at night. I want God's presence and everything because I understand this one thing. The absence of God's presence creates deficiencies everywhere. When God's not in it, there's always holes in it. When God's not in it, there's always a gap. There's always a space missing. God is not interested in being an afterthought to our lives. God wants to be a priority. He wants to be a part of what you're doing. He wants to be a part of your life and every decision that you make because his name is Jehovah Jireh, right? It means the God who provides. And so for him to say that he's the God who provides but not provide for you as his child is contrary to his nature. God wants to bless you, but many of us, we have not made room for God to bless us. Many of us have not, have not opened the door for God to bless even the small minor areas of our lives. God's glory, it's not just, not just a place where provision abides. God's glory is a place where joy and peace, that peace that passes all understanding. You know, sometimes life gets really hard and sometimes you just got to get in a prayer closet. Sometimes you got to come to an altar. You just got to pray. Like I, you got to come to first Saturday prayer and say, I don't even know what y'all are praying for, but I know what I'm praying for. Sometimes you have to get lost in the presence of God because there's some things that only God can provide. There's some things that only a touch of his presence can bring. Are you making room for God to move in every little area of your life? The problem with the Israelites here is they want the favor of God. They want the blessing of God, but they just don't want to put in the work, right? They want the blessing of God's house, but they don't want to do the maintenance on God's house. They want the oil, but they don't have a jar. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound a lot like you and me? Like I want God, like when we start off in this journey and, and God's doing some things in our life, we want God to bless us, but we don't really want to get rid of some of those things that we have. It's a lot, I've said this before, but it's a lot like um, the first time that you got a, a new couch, right? You went down the street, you ordered a new couch, you brought the couch home. Never once has a moving company came and set that new couch on top of the old couch, right? They've never gone, okay, we're just going to put it right here. What'd they do? They took the old couch and they did what? They took it out. They took it away. But see, that's what we do. We want the new man. We want the new couch, but we want it to sit with our old man. But the two cannot occupy the same space. Can I get an amen? <laughs> who you used to be and who God's changing you to be, they can't walk hand in hand. One of them's going to pull you one way, either the old man or the new man. You've got to do the prep work. You've got to move the old couch out. You have to prepare for God's glory to rest in your life and in your home. God's glory, his presence is a source. Somebody say source. God's presence is also transformative. 
God's presence is transformative. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 32, that's in the first part of the Bible. Genesis 32, verses 22 through 29. I'm going to read this story. It may sound a little strange, but just deal with it. Let's come with me. Walk along with me. If you're ready, ready, say yeah. yeah. All right, let's go. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabuk. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. The man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. So then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but it will be Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Verse 29, Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. Then he blessed him there. You know, the Bible, it's got some weird stories in it. And uh, when a preacher reads the Bible, it's always like it makes sense. You're like, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, of course he wrestled a stranger. Here's, let me, let's just break this story down, okay, real quick. What's going on here? Jacob, his whole family, they're camping out by a stream at night. Middle of the night, Jacob wakes everybody up, which is already odd. And he says, hey, grab your stuff. We're going to cross this stream. So they, they cross the stream. And then the Bible just says, and Jacob's family crossed the stream. And then he, before, they, before he crossed, he wrestled a man. Like, that's it. It's like, Jacob, man. Look at each other. Jacob's like, let's go, bro. And they start wrestling. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Can you imagine what, what his wife and all the kids were doing on the other side when, when, when Joseph, who's in this squad, is like, hey, where's dad at? And, and his mom is just like, he's on the other side of the river wrestling that man. It's probably his cousin Randy, you know? <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense to you and I. And as weird as this moment is, this moment is powerful. As odd as this moment is, this moment, it's transformational. It, some change happens in this moment. In fact, the first change is this. He changes, one of the changes, he changes his name from Jacob to Israel. In fact, verse 28 says, Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God, with humans, and overcome. You see, Jacob's name, uh, it has some baggage attached to it. In fact, Jacob, he had a little bit of a rap sheet. He was not the kind of guy that you would ask to stand on a witness stand for you. He was not a man of character. In fact, he was really like a pathological liar. His name even means trickster or supplanter. Like he started out as a child just tricking everybody. Here's just a couple things that he did. The first thing is his older brother Esau came home and was starving. Jacob was making some Brunswick stew and he sold his birthright he tricked Esau into giving him his birthright for a bowl of soup. Then he turned around and put hair of a sheep on his arm and he tricked his father who was blind into blessing him, thinking it was his older Esau. And up until this time, he, all he had done was just trick and maneuver and weasel his way all the way to where he was with his wife, his kids and all his children. But what I love about God is that God is not interested in where you've been as much as he is in where you're going. Can I get an amen? Come on. Come on. 
It only took one. That's what I love about the Lord. It took one moment with Jesus. It took one man named Jesus on one cross to die for you and for me. And it only took one moment for God to snatch you up out of the hell you were living in and put you in a place of peace and comfort and joy. It only took one moment. You see, that's why the devil's fought you so hard to get here today. That's why you've had hell all week. Because he knows if you could spend one moment in God's presence, if you could take one trip down to the altar, that your life will forever change. The devil's trying to stop one moment. Can you think about what a church that grabs that one moment will do. Can you, come on, can you think about what the, the Go Church could do all over the world if everybody today picked up one moment where they said yes to God above all else, where they said yes to God regardless of any kind of attachments, they just ran for it. And this one encounter with God's presence, it ch God changes his name forever. You see, God God will take who you used to be and turn you in to what he's called you to be in just a moment. Where are my people? Where are my people who God found you in a courtroom? Come on, or God found you in a club. Or God found you smoking some crack. Or God found you when you were lying to your spouse about your faithfulness. Where are my people? Where God looked past all your faults, he saw your need, and he picked you up in that moment. And he called you son, and he called you daughter. I don't care how messed up your life is, because one moment with God, he can take what you've spent a lifetime unraveling. God can put back together all the things you've just torn apart, ripped apart, and thrown asunder. God is, the, he's got the whole world really in his hands. You see, Jacob used to hurt people, right? Jacob used to lie to people, but now, now Jacob's not Jacob anymore. Now he's Israel, and now God uses his line to bring about change to the whole world through Jesus. Can you imagine what it was like when Jacob goes and he meets people who used to know who he used to be, right? When he walks up to them and they're expecting a lie, they're expecting a carpetbagger kind of salesman kind of vibe, but he walks up to them and he says, hi, my name's Israel. I'm full of the love of the Lord and the power of the Lord. You ever met somebody who you grew up with them back in the day, but now you see them like living for the Lord and you think to yourself, yeah, they made it. I'm good. You know, anybody know what I'm talking about right now? Some of my friends from North Carolina, if they were to watch this right now and see me preaching with a Bible and a microphone in my hand, they'd be like, all's good. I'm going to make it. If that cat can do it by God, I'm going to come at some of y'all acting too holy this morning. <laughs> some of y'all acting too holy this morning. God, what I love about the Lord is that 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 he just he just is not worried about your past. Man, come on, think about this. The Bible says that God knew you before you were ever knit in your mother's womb. God knew you even before he hovered over the deep. Hear me out. That means God chose you when your past was still in your future. God chose you when, when even before you were going to make a mistake, knowing you were going to make a mistake, he still chose you and called you son and called you daughter, and he still made a way where there was no way. That's the kind of person I want to be around. That'll look, that'll look past the old me and see the potential in the new me. If you're thankful that you're not who you used to be, can you give the Lord some praise this morning? God will choose you when your past is still your future. Second thing I noticed that's odd about this story is 
that not only does God change his name, because see, he doesn't know it's God at first. That's what makes the story weird. It's just a dude, right? But we know reading through scripture that it's, it's the Lord wrestling with him. So God changes his name, but God does one more thing. God breaks his hip. Like, I don't know about you, but if God's going to break something on me, I'm like, hey, can you break this finger or this finger? Don't break my hip. That's hard to come back from. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's like when we ask God to use us, we're like, Lord, don't break anything important. Just break some small things. God, don't, don't, don't pull me out of the comfort zone too far. Come on. God, don't, don't, you can pull me off the sofa, but leave me on the love seat. Like, God, don't do me too bad, right? Come on. Like, deep down, when you begin to pray and ask God to use you, you better watch out. Because God will do some things in your life. God will rearrange the bone structure in your life to get you right. God, come on. I wonder how many times do we spend that time wrestling with God over our future. We're wrestling God, trying to say, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And eventually God has to do something to us. God breaks our hip. And he, in a moment, he'll break your hip and he'll fix your lean. Because all your life, you've leaned on your giftings. He leaned on his cunning. He leaned on his ability to lie. But from there on in that day, he had to lean on the Lord. Some of you need to be reminded that God will break that hip and he'll fix that lean. He'll get you leaning the right way. He'll get your marriage leaning the right way. He'll get your kids leaning the right way. But sometimes the process is painful. Sometimes it hurts. I'm learning this as I go that in... Sometimes in order for God to bless me, he's got to break me. He's got, there's still some old Ben trapped up in here, okay? Don't believe me, don't feed me and come see me at 12 o'clock and see how kind I am. <laughs> I'm learning. I'm learning that, that God wants me to limp because he wants me to limp and to lean on him. He wants me to put him under my shoulder and he wants me to put my strength and my trust that he's going to take every step of this journey with me. That's why he says right here in Proverbs chapter three, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Stop leaning on your gifts. Stop just leaning on your talents. Stop leaning on your ability to procrastinate and somehow rescue this thing at the last minute. Stop leaning on all those things and start putting your faith and your trust back into the Lord. It said all things and, it, and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways, not just some ways and not just Sundays. Come on. God's greatest blessings I'm learning are coming from his greatest breakings. That there have been times in my life where I have been so stubborn that God's had to put me through the ringer, not because he hates me, but because he loves me. Adversity. Adversity is important in your life. And to my parents in the room, you can give your child everything that they need in life, but what made you great? And that's adversity. Sometimes you just got to let them fall. I'm learning that with Judah. My wife, she's like holding him, like covering him. I'm like, let the boy fall. If he's going to climb on the fireplace, let him fall. He'll quit. Sometimes God, sometimes God just, he's had to break me. Because God's presence is really, it's really transformative, right? It's, it's transformative. God's presence is transformative. Again, it's God's greatest blessings often come from his greatest breakings in our lives. And I wonder what you're wrestling with today with God that he's just trying to remove off of you. That he's trying to maneuver out of the way. 
It's counterproductive to the kingdom culture that he's building with you and with this church. What is it that God's trying to remove? The third thing I notice is this, that only God's presence can satisfy. There are things that you need that I believe can only be found in the presence of God. There are times where you need that peace that passes all understanding. And the only way to find it is to get on your face and pray and just say, God, come in and rescue me right now. There are things that only God's presence can fill, that only God's presence can heal. Well, what God looks for in people, it amazes me because you and I, we would have disqualified Jacob, right? He's a trickster. He's a supplanter. He's a cheat. He's definitely not the kind of guy that we want running this thing. We don't want him the kind of guy leading a nation like we don't want that. That's not what I would pick. But God saw something in Jacob's heart that he values a lot, and that's called hunger. In fact, Jacob says these words, he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And see, he wasn't looking for another blessing. See, Jacob had cheated his way. He was already a blessed man. He had kids. He had several wives. He had money. He had the birthright. He had his father's blessing. He had all those things. What I believe he was contending for was the actual presence of God. That he did not want to take another step. He was not going to cross that stream or that brook unless God went with him and God was a part of everything that he was doing because he was hungry. Even Moses, even Moses, let me read this to you. When God calls him to lead the people in the promised land, listen to his cry in Exodus 33. It says, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with me, with your people, unless you go with us? What else distinguishes me and your people from all the other people on the earth? See, that cry, it didn't frustrate God when he says, I'm not going unless you go. That didn't bother God. In fact, the next verse, it says the Lord says he was pleased with Moses's request and he granted it. If the presence doesn't matter in your life, what does matter? Because no matter how many supplies you amass, see, see, he was ready. He had over a million people with him. They, They had left Egypt with all the gold. Remember, Pharaoh just dumps gold on him. They had just seen the Red Sea part and collapse. Like he obviously knows where he's heading is the right direction. And as blessed as it already is, he says, I'm not taking another step unless you go with me. Are you willing to contend for the promise of God's presence? Even if that means your dreams and your plans have to stay on hold until he goes. Before you launch the business. Before you step out in faith to do whatever it is. Are you willing to wait until God's presence will go with you? Are you willing to even ask for his presence before you go? Because see, I think that's what makes Moses great is. He didn't go, I led him this far. I can go the rest of the way. No, he says, God, you know what? I'm not going to take another step unless you go with me. What's interesting about God's presence, the temple, this whole time is that until Jesus, the only way to encounter God's presence was when he would come down and rest in the Holy of Holies on the Ark of the Covenant. So, so the, the high priest would bring the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies once a year. Like that was his time. God's presence rested on the Ark. It rested in the temple. It rested in that moment. But what's interesting is that when you get over into the New Testament, 
and Jesus dies on the cross, the Bible says the earth shook and that the temple veil ripped from top to bottom. It was ripped all the way down. And I believe God was doing two things in that moment. Number one, I believe God was symbolically showing us that because of what Jesus just did on the cross, his presence is now open to the rest of the world. Because you couldn't, couldn't not just anybody could just enter in. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies. A select one person could experience God's presence. And now God, through Jesus, just rips the veil and the presence of God is available for you and I. But I believe Jesus was exposing one more thing. And that was that the glory was gone. You see, we know through Josephus, the Roman historian, that when Rome invaded Jerusalem years before, they raided the temple and they busted into the famed Holy of Holies only to find it empty. But yet we read through Jesus that the temple operations are still going. There's still sacrifices being made, all this stuff, because the religious leaders didn't want anyone to know they didn't have the power anymore, that they didn't have the glory anymore, that they didn't have the presence anymore. So God rips the veil. He exposes that. And I'm not asking this morning, does your church have the glory? Because this church has the glory. It believes in the power of God. This is a praying church. You can do first Saturday prayer, men's prayer, women's prayer, prayer in the altar before and middle after service like this praying church. God's presence is here. I believe God, God put this message on my heart because he's asking you to rip the veil of your heart. Is God's presence in you? Like in this moment right now, if we were to expose your real heart, the true humanity behind who you are, could we find God there? Or would we just be ripping the veil of religion over your chest? Because I know one thing about God and his presence is I need it every day. It's not just 90 minutes a week, okay? You can't survive this journey on, on, on the communion snack you get right here. You've got to be in the word. You've got to be praying. You've got to be reading. He's got to be a part of your life. In everything that you do, if Jesus tore the veil of your heart, would his presence be there or would you be empty like the Pharisees' room? I want to close with this story I want to read to you. Once upon a time, there was a young preacher. And he was just like any other young leader of his day. He was full of energy, full of passion, ready to do things others only dreamed of. It wasn't long until that preacher found success at his very first job. In fact, in just a matter of months, he had taken a group of leaders and kids and grown it to a room full and expanded out. Afterward, got out about the young man. He began to get offers to speak other places as well. All the while this is going on, people were whispering in the young man's ear. You can preach. You're doing really great. You're really talented. If you pastored a church, I would come find you. Eventually, the young preacher would fall victim to his own growing legend and finally hit a wall. Suddenly, what seemed to work before wasn't working. Instead of growing the group, the group began to shrink. And in an effort to save his reputation, the young preacher began to try everything he could to get more people to compliment him over and over. 
But no matter how much he tried, there just seemed to be something missing. Everything that the young preacher had built began to crumble. After suffering the slow dying death of success, the young preacher found himself wondering why he had even begun this journey to begin with. The young preacher asked himself, am I broken? Am I terrible? Why did I even pick this? It was some time later that the young preacher would find himself at a conference listening to someone preach and going through the typical routine of what they heard as worship, not knowing what was about to happen next. In that moment, God began to whisper in the ear of the young man, reminding the young preacher of an old saying, you can either have God's power or you can take all of God's credit, but he'll never give you both. With that word, the young preacher broke. In the presence of the very one who had called him and with tear-stained eyes, the young preacher looked up and he vowed to never take another step without the glory of God flowing in his life. Never again will the young preacher preach without spending time in God's word and in his presence. Never again will the young preacher forget how much he still needed God to touch every single thing he was doing. After making that promise, the young preacher took a deep breath. And for the first time in the long time, the young preacher was free. You see, that young preacher is me. I'm just at a point. I'm just at a point where nothing else is going to do but him. I'm just that I've read the word in ways that I never saw coming. I just said, God, I wake up in the morning and I say, God, I don't even want to take another step. I don't want to try to be a dad. I don't try to do anything without you, without that anointing in my life. I, I'm just at a point. I held my son the other day in the kitchen. I just began to weep and begin to pray in the spirit. And then we was like, are you okay? And I said, God, don't ever let me. I want my son to feel your presence. I want, don't let him go through this life and not know you. There was such a burden on my heart for my children to feel the tangible presence of God. I remember what it was like to preach and make a commitment that my life depended on what I was preaching, but somewhere along the way, walk away because I listened to the hype. I listened to my gifting. I leaned on my own understanding. I did not lean on him. And then somehow having to find myself in an altar, praying, begging God to come back and put his favor on my life and his love on my life because you can't breathe without him. About a month ago, God woke me up in the middle of the night and I'm not a person that has dreams. Let me just tell you that right off the bat. God woke me up. I was just crying. He was like, are you okay? I said, I'm going to go to the other bedroom. I feel like the Lord is just saying something to me. And God showed me in that dream, this right here, a glass half full. It was already had contents in it. And then this pitcher. And he said this to me, have you made room for my glory? You see, I had already filled the glass back up with something he didn't put in there. 
And God had this picture of blessing. God had this picture of power. God had this picture of my future and my destiny. And he wants to dump it out in me, but I have not made room to contain all of that. And I'm asking you this morning, have you made room for God, his presence to dwell in your heart and in your home and in everything that you do? Here's what I know about God today. So right now, God will not send you away empty unless you're already full of yourself. And in a moment, we're going to have the prayer team come down in a moment and I'm going to give an altar call. And I don't I don't know who I'm just preaching to in here today. But if you're full of things not of God and you're full of things not of his presence and you desire what that picture contains, please don't walk away empty. How long will you work without his presence? How long will you parent without his presence? Love without his presence, worship without his presence, lead without his presence, and live without his presence. Because I believe the best series you've ever heard on the Holy Spirit has been preached by our pastor. And God's saying this to you right now because in this next season of life, God is wanting to dump an anointing out in here that cannot be contained by little cups and, and, and half-filled faith and people who only want just a touch of it, God's trying to dump out more than we could ask, think, or imagine. Is there anybody in here that's ready for a season of more with God? More of his favor, more of his power, more of his anointing. Would you stand? It's the custom of this house to close with a question. And so I'm going to ask you the very question that God asked me. Have you made room for his glory? As our prayer team makes the way down front. Have you made room to experience God in a new, fresh way? Or did you come here to get a gold attendance star? Because God's not, when you get to heaven, he's not going to have your attendance sheet up. He's going to have your intent sheet up. What did you intend to do with the time that I bless you with? If you're, if hear me out, if God's calling you today, I want you to come find a place. People are already coming. Come find somebody to pray with. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, they'll sing a song. I want to pray with you right now. If you need God to touch you, if you need his glory, I want you to come now. Dear Heavenly Father, as people make their way, God, begin to move. God, begin to release the power of your presence. God, begin to release your anointing. God, fill up those who are half full of themselves, those who are trying to walk away empty. God, in this next moment as we sing this song, God, pour out your favor, pour out your blessing, pour out your anointing that cannot be contained. In Jesus' name.